Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Take your Bibles and open up with me to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. And as you do that, if you could uh, um, follow along with me in the scriptures, 1 John chapter 4. And I'm going to ask you guys to see if you can find the screens for me in the back there. That'd be helpful. Thank you. 1 John chapter 4 is where we are in the text. And I'll begin reading at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are... I'm sorry, I need to have you stand out of respect for the Word of God uh, before I just start reading. Chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You may be seated. I want to talk with you about three words today, and maybe the screens will show up a little later, so you're just going to have to take notes, um, and I'll try to slow down enough that you can grab those. I want to give you three things that matter from this text, all right? Three things that matter. Truth matters, Jesus matters, love matters. Just say that with me. Truth matters, Jesus matters, love matters. One more time. Truth matters, Jesus matters, love matters. Now, let me give you a little phrase that goes with truth matters, all right? If you're a Christian, you must exercise discernment. That's right. If you're a Christian, you must exercise discernment. And what I mean by that is that this is a reminder that we are to, the Scripture says, test the spirits, because there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. In fact, um, let me just talk with you about that briefly, if I could. Uh, Truth matters. Let me give you three things you need to know about truth. The first thing is this. You need to expect false teaching to be popular. Expect false teaching to be popular. Now, let me show you that in the text. You'll see it in verse 1. For there it says, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And there's our first reminder, isn't it, that it's not a few, it's not a moderate amount, but it's many. And so there's this idea throughout the scriptures that when many people are talking, you can expect that there will be many false teachers. You can expect it to be popular, which means basically that if you turn on, uh, if, if you listen to your favorite podcast, whatever you're listening to, if you hit your favorite blogger, you just need to know that when stuff's coming through your newsfeed, the majority of it is probably going to be false teaching because the text says many, and it just doesn't list it there. It listed in 2 John 2. So just flip over with me to the little epistle of 2 John. And look with me, if you will, at verse 7. 2 John, only one chapter, verse 7. And there we read, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. The same argument, again, uh, John is making here. And he just reminds us, with the focus on many, that false teaching will be popular. 
But here's the second idea as well. Uh, don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you hear. And again, you, you, you see that because we're challenged here to test the spirits. We're challenged to give, it's a term that actually is kind of like a metallurgical term, if you're familiar with that. It's evaluating how we actually, um, how when, when metal was melted in some way, it would remove the impurities. This is this idea as well that you are to test the spirits. Uh, by this we know the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And finally, one last idea. I want you to think in terms of testing what you hear with the scriptures. Uh, first of all, expect false teaching to be popular. Number two, don't believe everything you hear. And number three, test what you hear with the scriptures. Now take your Bibles and go with me to Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. And when you get there, I just want to tell you a little bit about this scenario. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, we are introduced to a group of people called the Bereans. And the Bereans are significant because they actually are compared to the brothers in Thessalonica and deemed to be, in some way, uh, what does it say? They, they are more noble, they are more honorable than the Jews that were in Thessalonica. Now, stop there for a second before I even unpack them, and let me tell you how good the brothers in Thessalonica were, okay? When you read the book of Thess the, the, the two little books of Thessalonians, you see that they come with short, uh, short, quick commands. And there's only a few chapters, but they're very short. In fact, at, at the end of first, uh, of second, uh, first Thessalonians, you just hear those commands in rapid fire. When you read the book of Corinthians, you read long-winded discussions. You say, why is that? Because the Thessalonians were really obedient to whatever Paul said. When Paul said something, he didn't have to argue with them. The Corinthians, on the other hand, he would make the statement, and then he'd have to explain what he meant, and then he'd have to argue with them. And, and so the book of Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, are really, really long books. Thessalonians is a very short book, and the reason is that they were quick to obey. But here, Luke, in the book of Acts, references them in a different way. And this is what he says. Look with me at verse 11. Now, these Jews were more noble, that is, the Berean Jews, than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now let your eye drift back up to verse 10 and let's see what they were examining, okay? The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue in Berea. And when they begin to teach, the believers in Berea are examining, are you ready for this? The teaching of Paul. Okay. Now, that should just stop you for a second. Okay. They're listening to Paul and they're examining, literally critiquing, evaluating Paul. Okay. That's why any pastor who says to, to, that thinks he is above uh, someone saying, hey, I have this concern, I, I didn't hear you say that quite right, is that what you meant to say? That pastor is not thinking properly. 
Any teacher that you hear that says, I have this down, I don't need to listen to anybody else, that person's not thinking properly. Because even here, the Apostle Paul acknowledges that they are more noble because they evaluated him. Now stop for just a second. Let me add another thought. Our world is not only full of false teachers, but it's also full of critiquers. This is such a great passage. Maybe you are one of those who says, who, who likes to read the people who tell you about everything that's wrong with everybody, right? You know some of those websites, right? You pick them up, you can't find a positive word in them, but you can hear what's wrong with everybody, right? I just want to remind you how this verse balances this so perfectly. Look at the first part, right here, verse 11. They received the word with all eagerness. I love the word all. That is, they were totally about it. When the word was taught, they weren't sitting back with their critique hats on. They weren't evaluating. They were listening with great eagerness, with all eagerness. But then I note that when they stopped listening to the word, when they went home and thought about it, there they began to examine it. And just let me talk about that word for a second. The the word examine in the original language here means investigate, interrogate, determine, question, discern, examine, and judge. That's a full list. But I want you to see that they didn't listen with that judgmental spirit. They listened with eagerness. And then they evaluated afterwards. This is so important. This is the balance we must maintain. A hunger for the word and yet an evaluation of the person bringing the word. Truth matters, Jesus matters. Expect false teaching to be popular. Don't be, uh, believe everything you hear and test what you hear with what the scriptures say. And that's the word that's used in verse one. Now with that in mind, just follow along with me as well. In, um, let's see. Let me just talk with you how we test it with the scriptures. And you'll just have to listen to the quote. It's more important if you could see it, but we can't this morning. Just listen to this statement. The Old Testament and the New are the sole standards by which all teaching is to be tested. Let me say that again. The Old Testament and the New are the sole standards by which all teaching is to be tested. In contrast, demonically inspired teachers either reject the teaching of God's word or add elements to it. And that tells you why the Old and New Testament are the way you evaluate it. Because they're either rejecting portions or they're adding something to it. And so therefore, we become testers of what is being said by using the Bible to do it. Let's talk about Jesus matters, okay? Let's just review those with me real quickly again. Truth matters, Jesus matters, love matters. Say them with me. Truth matters, Jesus matters, love matters. Look with me at, at, uh, at verse two, verse two. And there we read, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And there's a wonderful reminder here that John is beginning to show you actually how it is that you discern when truth and error has taken place. And it's a, it's a great reminder that those individuals, those false teachers in John's day, um, without going into great detail, they practiced a Gnosticism that they div- talked about in a dualism. That is that they saw everything that was material as evil, everything that was spirit as good. And that means that they took that particular view and, and put it onto Christ. Right? 
And, and therefore, they said, listen, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He wasn't really human. He was simply a spirit, and that spirit dropped on this human body at his baptism, and it lifted off his human body at his crucifixion. They were trying to force their belief system onto how the scriptures talked about Christ. But Jesus matters. And if you're a Christian, you're going to need to believe the truth about Jesus. That is the truth about Jesus. Um, how many of you have had a chance to see uh, the, some of the images that came off the Webb telescope? Can I see your hands in that? Okay. Now, for just a moment, let me give you the most important statistic, I think, when the Webb telescope pointed into a little bit of deep space and just took a snapshot over a few days. Okay. They discovered, you ready for this? 44 unknown galaxies. Now, think about that. The Hubble telescope pointed out there, and we said, whoa, look at all these galaxies we didn't even know were there. And then we thought we knew all the galaxies that were there. And then along comes another telescope that takes another picture, and when they take this picture, they discover 44 galaxies that we didn't even know were there. Now, take your Bibles and go with me to John chapter 1. Oh, you actually have pictures of the galaxy. Look at that, right? Take your Bibles and go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And just let me show you this in the text. Notice how we begin to unpack who Jesus is. John chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 14. I want to show you how both of these elements are about who Jesus is. And that is why when it comes to Jesus matters, you must believe the truth about who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jump down with me to verse 3. Just look at this. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, just for a moment, picture this. Jesus is the member of the Trinity that does the work of creation. John 1 declares that, okay? Now, now take a look at these pictures. These are galaxies, okay? They're just not Christmas lights. They're entire galaxies. There are, in an average, in any given galaxy, are you ready for this? 100 billion stars. Okay. Now, I can't even get my head around that number, but I can do a little bit of math. 44 new galaxies times 100 billion stars means that when we took a picture all of a sudden just about a month ago, we discovered that there were, four, that, that there were 4,400 billion stars that we didn't even know existed. Okay. But the Bible says that God created them. In fact, I, I did a little bit of math to try to get my head around 4,400 billion stars. When you go to the shore, or if you're at the shore and you're watching this on your iPad, reach down and pick up a handful of sand. When you pick up a handful of sand, if you kind of clump your hand and get about a cup of sand in your hand, you will be looking at 2 million grains of sand. Okay. That's it, just 2 million grains of sand. You say, that's a lot of grains of sand. Consider the number 2 million in relation to the number 440 billion, okay? There is no way a human being creates this, right? But there is a way that the God, particular Jesus, God in the second member of the Trinity, does create this because the Bible says so. In fact, just imagine it this way, maybe superimposed over one of those images all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus made all of it. But if you let your eye wander down to verse 14, you're going to see the other side of Christ. 
here it is. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what John is saying is he's saying, listen, false teaching starts to reshape the person of Jesus. And it says, oh, he's spirit, but he isn't flesh. And the truth of the matter is, yes, he is both. He, true, he, he created all of those things that we can't even get our head around. And yet he came in human flesh and dwelt among us. That is why if you open up our little doctrinal statement that's there in front of you, you'll read, we believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal and only Son of God who is both fully God and fully man. He is both. He is both. Truth matters. Uh, and here's the slides if you need to write them down now. Truth matters. If you're a Christian, you must exercise discernment. We test the scriptures, we listen with great eagerness, but we test what everybody, not we don't test the scriptures, we test what everybody else is saying up against the scriptures. Number two, Jesus matters. If you're a Christian, you must believe the truth about Jesus. And the only way we know that truth is because the Bible reveals that to us. And finally, one last one, love matters, love matters. If you're a Christian, you must love like God loves, love matters. Now, let me just unpack that if you let your eye wander down into verse uh, 7. Uh, but before we get there, just let me read for you again um, verse 4 uh, down to verse 6. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Just stop there for a second. Sometimes that verse is yanked out of context. Let me put it back in its context today. It doesn't mean you're an overcomer when you go to the pickleball court. Okay? It means that you cannot say, oh, Phil, that false teaching that is just so difficult to understand. I can't even figure it out. I'm just better off just letting somebody else figure that out for me. I'm telling you that's dangerous. And you do have the ability because John says here, you are from God and have overcome them. What have you overcome? Those false teaching and those who have that spirit among them. Because he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. You are encouraged that, yes, this is something for you to do. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. That is all that false teaching. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Why? Because the Holy Spirit indwells us and enables us to look to the Scriptures. Let me talk with you briefly about how we know that love matters. God is not distant. He is actively involved in humanity's history and future. Sometimes we might have a tendency to look at the world around us, see everything that's going on, and saying, where is God? Okay. I just want to remind you, God is not distant. He is near, and he is actively involved in humanity's history in the past and in their future. Let me show you that in uh, one verse here. Look with me at verse 9. Um, we'll start, we'll pick up the reading at verse 7, then we're coming back to verse 7 in a moment. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 9, we're coming back there. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the essence of the gospel. This is the fact that Christ came and died in our place 
so that we might have our sins paid for. I want you to take that little cup that's in front of you, that the Lord's table cup. And Pastor Scott's going to come and lead us in this time this morning. And I talked with him about it earlier. I said, I think this is the place for it. Not an end of the service thing, but right here, tucked right in a text that says, this is how we know love. That God is not distant from us, but that he came near to us through the Son in human, he is interested in humanity, and not only humanity, but you personally, your history, and your future. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's wrath was poured out against us because of our sin. God's holy wrath against sin. Christ came to absorb that wrath, to be the propitiation, to appease the wrath of God. He took that wrath on him on that cross. Should have been us, but he took it for us. So in 1 Corinthians, when Paul was telling these Corinthians, when you come together, you got to pause and you got to take a moment to reflect on the fact that God's wrath has been appeased because of the propitiation of Christ. Because he took our place on the cross, appeasing God's wrath. And it should swell up within us a heart of great gratitude for all that Christ has done for us. So Jesus, when he got his disciples together on his final time with them, he told them all together, as often as you get together, I want you to remember the sacrifice that I made for you. As often as you come together, remember the appeasing of God's wrath for us. When the Corinthian church came together, Paul was telling these Corinthian Christians, you have to come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. For those of you that are in the room or children that are in the room, this might seem a little weird, a little, a little different, this process of pulling out this little cup and pulling out this wafer and, and the juice. Jesus said, it's a remembrance of what he did so that we will never forget what Christ did for us and that we as a body of believers will come together. That means eliminating our schisms, eliminating our cliques, eliminating any divisions to come together, he told the Corinthians, to participate together. If you could pull out that little cup, as Phil just mentioned, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Without the body of the God-man on that cross, we could not have propitiation, appeasement of God's wrath. Only the God-man could do it. You and I couldn't do it. 
had to be Christ. It had to be his body dying for you. Only he could do it. And praise God that he did. And so at that last supper, Jesus told his disciples, this is my body, which is for who? For you. Let's take that little wafer out right now. And this is not the actual body of Christ. This is just symbolic of the body of Christ. But let's think of what Christ did for us on the cross that only he could do. Let's think about it as we participate together. Thank you, Christ, for what you did for us on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you came into this earth, dying for us, so that we could have a restored relationship with God. Thank you, Lord, that you came and lived a selfless example for us, dying in our place. Help us, Lord, to remember what you did for us. And Lord, may that just translate into a changed life for us as we reflect Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11.25 says this, In the same way, he took the cup, also after supper, saying, This cup, it's the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink. The new covenant, only through the new covenant, ratified with the blood of Christ, only through the new covenant, not the old covenant, only through the new covenant promised in the Old Testament could we have a restored relationship with God. Only through the new covenant. That new covenant could only be ratified with the blood of Christ. And that's what he did. A restored relationship possible through his blood shed for us on the cross. You can have hope. You can have joy. You can have restoration. You can have forgiveness because of what Christ did for us on the cross. That truth changes your whole outlook on life. Let's take that cup. Just open that up there. Jesus said, let's do this together in remembrance of him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord that we can now have a restored relationship with you because of the new covenant. Thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us as your church to be ministers of this new covenant. Thank you, Lord, that we await the coming Messiah when one day we will sit and have this meal together with him in glory for all eternity. Lord, we await your coming. We participate in this together as a body in Christ together until you come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. We're reminded that we need to remember the gospel because we tend to pull away from it. We tend to shift back again into our works, and so, and we tend to think that maybe we can do something 
to satisfy God, and we can't. Thank you, Scott, for reminding us of that role. And just by way of reminder, I'm always reminded whenever we partake in the Lord's table that God wishes for us not only to hear, he wishes for us to see, he wishes for us to taste, he wishes for us to smell. It's like he wants to touch all aspects of our senses with the gospel, reminding us again what he did on our behalf. Here's that second idea. When it comes, this is what God's love means. God is not one-dimensional. His love does not, his love does not contradict his other qualities. This is really important because in the world in which we're living, we are told over and over again, the most important thing is love, okay? The most important thing is God, right? And this is a really important distinction because just think how quickly these things get confused. The Bible said God is love, but it didn't say love is God, okay? You say, what's the difference? The one says out of God and all of his attributes, we discover love, The other says, we will make a God into our own image and make him loving in our image what we think love is. And that's not the way the Bible proclaims it at all. In fact, just for a moment, understand this. These are other attributes of God. Psalm 147, verse 5, great is our Lord. He is great. Abundant in power. He is powerful. Understanding is beyond measure. He is all wise. Or how about Malachi 3.6? I, the Lord, do not change so that you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. He, he is unchanging. These are all of these aspects of God, and they're not the only ones. Let me give you another one out of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. In fact, you see three times in a row that God is holy, holy, holy. He is set apart. He is different than us. And just by way of reminder, what we mean by that is God is not one-dimensional. His love does not contradict his other qualities or his other attributes. They all come together in him. That's important. One final one. Here it is. When we read God as love, what it means is that God is not captive to our definition of love. He is the source of love. This is so important. God is not captive to our definition of love. He is the source of love. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, like, where in the Bible does it talk about that? And then I remembered this verse that Jesus, when he's praying, in, right before he goes, on to the, goes up to the cross, right before his trial, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, And you remember that prayer in John 17. He makes this great statement. I just want you to see it, but I want you to see it superimposed on a picture. This is the world that we know. It's hard for us to even think outside of this, right? Um, We saw pictures of things we can't even imagine or see, but we can picture this. We know what it's like to live in New Jersey. We want to know what it's like to be on the corner right here next to the peach orchards. We know what this is like. And sometimes, because we know what this is like, that seems like the, per- the, the earth feels like the thing that's always been. And then somewhere, like about ninth or 10th grade, we discovered what love was. And all of a sudden, we think, well, I feel a certain way about a person, so this, this earth is older than love is. Not so. Not so. In fact, when Jesus is praying in John 17, I want you to see this. He says... Because you love me, speaking to his father, 
before the foundation of the world. Now, you just got to let this settle in. This means that God is the source of love. Our definition is not the source of love. When you go home this afternoon and someone says, well, if you really love this person, you would say that to them or you would do this with them. I just want to remind you that that whole feeling-based thing, that is really, really late in the history game. Love took place between the Father and the Son before the earth was even created. Just take all of those images you just saw from the, from the web telescope and just go poof and make complete blackness. And before anything was created, God loved the Son. This is such an important factor because it means that God is not captive to our definition of love. Rather, he is the source of love. And you don't want to redefine what love looks like outside of who God is because God is ultimately the source. And that brings you to two questions, just two simple questions. Do I define love by how I feel or by what God did? That's right. Do I define love by how I feel or by what God did. In fact, if, if I could just for a moment kick at the heart of false teaching, this is false teaching. Love is how you feel. That's it. You say, well, I don't feel like loving this person, so I, I think it's time for me to step away from the marriage. That's not what love is, but that's what you feel. You say, well, I don't feel like loving this person because they treated me unkindly. So this is where I yell and scream and do everything I can to thrash them in return. That's how you feel. But that's not how love is. If you want to know what love is, then you go back to this verse that Pastor Scott engaged with us around communion. And this is the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. That's it. It's not about how you and I feel. It's about what God did. That's the source of love. In fact, out of that, we find three phrases that kind of fire off one right after the other. I said we'd come back to this verse. Here it is. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. That's not the only time you're going to hear that. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Back to back to back. Love one another, love one another, love one another. Here's the love of God. This is what it looks like. This is what God did, not based upon what we feel. This is what God did. That's how we know what love is. And therefore, I define love not by how I feel, but by what God did. And that brings me to my final question. If I practice the love of God only when I feel like it, is it really the love of God? If I practice the love of God only when I feel like it, is it really the love of God? Or have I begun to live in a false teaching mindset that says love is what I feel, it's not based upon what God did? If you came in this morning and you thought you knew what love was, but you don't start with God as the source who practiced love and understood love before there was even you, before there was even the person next to you, before there was even the foundation of the earth, then you are thinking in terms of being influenced by our world's understanding of what love is and not love from the scriptures defining the God who is the source of all love. It's tumbling, isn't it? 
We come in maybe feeling pretty good about ourselves and we realize that, even my own confession here, that I'm not loving certain people well because I'm starting with my feelings as opposed to starting with God as the source of what love is. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning, to right in the middle of it, just pause and, and remember the cross, the Lord's table and all that that means to us as Christians. To have sung this morning about the cross, to have been reminded that we don't work our way to salvation. You came down and saved us when we were unworthy, when we were undeserving, and we're humbled to remember. And Lord, at the same time, we're convicted that you are the source of love. Love existed before the world even existed, between you and the Son, and We want to get back to that, Lord, to get back to that simple, humble obedience that Jesus had towards you as his Father, to get back to that understanding that love is about what you have done for us, whether we feel like it or not. And so I pray, Lord, that you would continually encourage our hearts from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.